the pleasure of introducing Meg Eberly, a remarkable figure in our small ballet world. Hailing from Dallas, Texas, Meg's journey in dance began with the high school program at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, training under renowned instructors like Melissa Hayden and Warren Conover. Her talent took her to prestigious summer programs at the School of American Ballet, the American Ballet Theater in New York, and Hungarian National Ballet School in Budapest. Meg's professional career is marked by her performances with the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater and as a guest artist for what was North Carolina Dance Theater, where she performed in roles from Kent Stowell's Carmina Brana and George Balanchine's Ballet Imperial and the beloved Nutcracker, of course. Transitioning from her illustrious dance career, Meg pursued a degree in accounting at the University of Pittsburgh while continuing her connection to the arts through fundraising and volunteering. She later joined the faculty of the Bluffton School of Dance as ballet mistress and director of the pre-professional program, further enhancing her credentials with certifications in Finest Young's teacher program, progressing ballet technique, and attending CPYB teacher workshop. In today's episode, Meg brings her unique blend of arts and business acumen to the table, sharing invaluable insights on balancing academic education with artistic goals. Stay tuned as we dive into a conversation with Meg, a true embodiment of passion, versatility, and dedication in the world of ballet. Thanks, Meg, for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. And thank you for that very nice introduction. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. So the one thing, Meg, that stood out to me about you and the reason why I was like, she has to do this episode with me is because anytime I saw you in the studio, you had your planner. <laughs> <laughs> you were always very organized. You knew exactly what you wanted to work on. I knew you were adaptable and you obviously were in the moment with the kids adjusting mm -hmm. where you needed, but you seemed to always have a really solid idea of what it was you wanted to work on in the class. So yeah. I'm really glad to have you here to share that with us, your skills and how you've kind of developed that. So you obviously have had several training experiences for teaching specifically and just really quickly before we get started with our questions, I was just wondering if you had any kind of um, commentary on that, like whether you felt like that benefited you and how. I really think it's important as a ballet instructor or an instructor of any kind, really, to constantly be learning, to continue your learning throughout the lifetime of your career and beyond. Uh, so attending a seminar, a workshop, um, a teacher training program. I think it's a, a huge benefit to instructors because it allows us to, first of all, gain a little bit better understanding of how other teachers work in the classroom, right? Wait, we have our methods, but maybe someone else can bring something new to the table for us. And it also presents us different viewpoints on the technique of ballet and how different schools are employing their resources to get that technique across to the students. Um, everyone has their method, you know, and and um, there's great things about one and there's great things about another. So I love to visit all of them and then just sort of pull from that when I need to. Yeah, I often think that that's um, really a huge part and benefit of being a dancer, because I think that that is kind of what we learn throughout our dance experience, especially in the ballet world. You know, there's not going to be this very limited view the more people that you work with, the better, right? Everyone right. recognizes that. It's like having one protege, you know, for a person, like that's not going to work. Like you need to have as many instructors as you can to create that versatility in your dancing 
Right. And I think we do kind of just naturally transfer that understanding to our teaching as well. Absolutely. Um, and I've recognized that even in teaching high school now, <laughs> like <Certainly>. early advice. <laughs> right. I'm sure it carries over. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the more viewpoints we can have help us move ballet forward because right. it's not the same thing as it was a hundred years ago. Absolutely. And we all recognize that. So it needs, we need to get out of our rut a little bit yeah. sometimes in the way we teach. So it's not even the same thing it was 50 years ago or 30 years ago. Like it's always changing. It's crazy. Right. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to get started with our planning questions. So just to set the stage for our podcast, could you describe for us your personal system of organization and planning when it comes to teaching dance? Certainly. So as you said, um, during my bio and introduction, I have both a ballet background and a business background. So when I retired from ballet and went back to school and fell into accounting, I also fell in love with spreadsheets. So spreadsheets are a great way to uh, show you a visual representation of really anything. It doesn't have to be just numbers. So I think people have a misconception about that, but you can put anything in a cell that you want. So the spreadsheet is what I use to plan my dance year or plan my dance term, so to mm -hmm. speak by visually breaking up using a calendar, right? To, to put all those class meeting times in one place. They're all laid out for you class by class. And then you just fill in the things that you'd like to teach over that time period. And it really helps you just get an idea of spreading it out so right. that, you, you know, that you know you have time to present everything that you'd like to present. Yes, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so true. And it's nice having Google Sheets something that's totally free and you can share it and collaborate. So Absolutely. if you did have like a director or a ballet mistress, someone who might want to see kind of what you're planning, it's a great way to be able to communicate with them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So how do you begin planning a dance class or your curriculum, your term, like you were speaking about? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a go-to checklist or a framework that you work within? I do. So I take a goal-based approach to planning my curriculum. And what I tend to do first all, first of all, is decide on those goals. Where do I want to get this class by the end of their dance term? What do I want to give to them over the life of this class, right? Yeah. I think about the age of my students. I think about their experience level. I think about their needs as children or students at this time in the world of ballet and in and what kind of dancing they do. Mm -hmm. And after that, I work backwards. So I use these end goals and then I work backwards over the number of weeks that I have to present mm -hmm. and I fill in the blanks. Right. Um, in my spreadsheet, I carry forward a tab in the front that lists out ballet terms, steps, and technique by level. So I've sort of created this using the curriculums that I've trained in and mm -hmm. using just my experience over my lifetime of teaching, right. create this listing. And so it's always there and it right. always carries forward. And so I just am able to say, okay, I need to get this class to learn, you know, they need to have strong petite allegro by the end of this term there. That's right. something that we didn't focus on. Okay, great. Then I'm going to pull from my tab of great exercises that I know progresses them through that. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. So it's really fun to hear your perspective because I mean, it shows like the level of maturity in your teaching. Um, I do feel like 
what I've witnessed in the dance world, just personally, right? So obviously it's kind of a hasty generalization because my personal experience is not everything, <laughs> but <Sure>. um, <laughs> but definitely what I've witnessed, even from like the teachers I grew up with to the way that I started teaching, because, you know, often business owners, studio owners, they'll employ people that are fairly young and inexperienced into the job of teaching. And um, those teachers often just teach the way they were taught, right? Yes, <laughs> right, exactly. And and there's not much, um, I would have to say from my experience, there's not much planning in the ballet world, not as much as there could be, right? Not that like effective planning Agreed. where you are doing exactly what you're saying. It's this backwards by design planning, which... Mm -hmm. Again, since I started going through like these education programs that I'm in, that's a huge part of it. It's exactly like you said, you have to think of where do you want the students and then you go backwards from there to figure it out. And then I also love that you mentioned the element of knowing your students. You have to have some knowledge of who it is you're working with. And sometimes, and I know you've experienced this and I know I've experienced this, sometimes you get kids in the room that come from wildly different backgrounds. So yeah. it's really hard to try and keep them all on the same page, knowing that they know different things coming in and they right. have different physical ability coming in. And, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that is really where that, I think adaptability kind of comes in, but definitely when you're planning, the better, you know, the kids, the mm -hmm. easier that would be. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more you can get to know your students as an instructor, even if you leave things a little bit more fluid at the beginning in your curriculum, right? you have no knowledge of these students whatsoever, take a couple classes with them yeah. and then fill in the right. mind details, the, the little things along the way that you say, okay, I realize we have a gap in placement, for instance. Right. So I'm right. going to need to include a class on placement. You know, yeah. and, um, you have that flexibility right. if you're working with a long-term curriculum, you yeah. know, you can drag and drop day to day. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So cool. Awesome. So can you share a specific instance where through planning significantly impacted the outcome of a class or a performance? Certainly. Absolutely. So, um, one that, an example that comes right to mind for me is, um, very recently I had to go out during the dance term for a surgery. Oh, wow. And it was not planned at the beginning of the year, right? But it, it occurred during the year. Mm -hmm. So any, any sort of life change event, right? Might pull you away from teaching for some reason. Is it you? Is it your child? Right. right. There's certain things that can happen. A family member. Um, I had curriculum written and combinations written for all of my classes so that when I had this leave that ended up occurring, the classes went on absolutely no problem. Any of my instructors could pick up that curriculum, take nice. a look through it. You know, if they had questions, obviously ask, but the roadmap was there for them. Right. So they had guidance and they didn't have to feel like a deer in headlights saying, oh my goodness, I don't know where to start. How do right. I take this class on that she's had all year long and keep it progressing? So um, having a strong curriculum like that helps you in those situations because you, we just never can plan for exactly what's going to happen. Right. I'm curious for studios where they may not have ballet instructors that are very strong in ballet, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe they have done kind of a little bit of everything Yes. and the studio owner needs a ballet teacher. So they just put them in to teach ballet yes. for those studios and for those teachers, 
how would you suggest they go about figuring out that curriculum and making it exactly what, you know, we would all dream of, like sure. the strong ballet class, mm -hmm. kids that are knowledgeable about the terminology, they have the foundations, all of that. How would you suggest, if you have any suggestions on how they might improve that part of their studio life? I think that if you have an enthusiastic ballet instructor who wants to bring these things to a studio, you there are resources available for you out there. Um, first of all, I would absolutely say, if you know other studios in your area, reach out to them because they really will collaborate. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really have been in instances where I meet up with an instructor from another school, you know, just down the street. And yeah. we talk about things like this right. and maybe they're willing to share with you. Maybe right. they're willing to say, listen, I have a great curriculum. Let's work it together or yeah. somehow sharing students, something like that. I, I mean, I do understand the boundaries and the borders and the business, right? Yes. In a right. studio. I understand that, but there is so much collaboration that occurs and that can occur more. With yeah. This. Um, I think reaching out and not being afraid to ask that yeah. question is huge. Um, the other thing I would say is if you're very lost, right, and you don't know where to begin, there are curriculums available out there, especially for younger ballet, mm -hmm. right, the presentation of sort of the introduction to ballet. Mm -hmm. There are some companies that do offer entire packages of curriculum, and you right. could start there. Right. You could start with it, and that, like I said, at least you have a guideline, and then you can put in the things that you know you need to focus on. So a teacher can say, okay, right. But my students don't have knowledge of blank. I need to mm -hmm. add that in. Okay, great. You know, build it. But, um, you know, a training That's program great. also can help with that too, because they often hand you a pretty yeah. great listing at the end of things that you need to impart. <laughs> yeah. I think so. that would be for these teachers. I feel like it would also be the easiest way as well, just to feel like you can be confident that the information you're getting is good information because it's so hard when you're trying to sift through all the stuff that's out there <laughs> mm -hmm. trying to distinguish good from bad right um, yeah definitely a struggle but I I can appreciate all of that and back to what you said yeah that always as a teacher kind of made me very sad when studios would be very um, isolated like on their own island Right. Because I do think it's the most important part of all of this should be the kids. It shouldn't be the money or the business, right? So it's the students. Mm -hmm. And if you know that you're providing these kids some kind of support, like community support. So instead of it being like just one teacher or one studio is backing you up, but the entire community, that can mean a totally different outcome for the student. And to me, again, that was always the priority. Like what is going to be their outcome? How right. can they have the best outcome possible? So I do appreciate that for sure. Right. Okay. So next question, how does your organization skill set benefit your students in their learning and development? I think that adding my background in, uh, in the business world and bringing that sort of organizational strategy that I had when I needed to work you know, a tight business schedule comes right over into teaching because mm -hmm. we're often juggling, right? We're juggling yes. various <laughs> class levels, class yes. time. Some of us might be traveling to a variety of studios. Mm -hmm. So as you were saying before, a lot of times, you know, in a small area, studios might collaborate and they might be sharing the same instructor. 
Right. So you might say you might be going to one studio that has a certain goal set Monday yeah. night, Tuesday, you're teaching 30 miles away, right? To completely right. different, maybe intermediate advanced class. And yes. then after, you're warming them up for performance. So being able to prioritize your tasks, right? Plan mm -hmm. ahead and say, you know, use your planner and say, I know I have this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, and I need to get to these various places, knowing that you need to be there on time um, and using the tools, the technology and tools that you can to make sure that you're ahead of the game means that you're not the dance teacher that's, you know, we've all seen in the memes that's driving right. in their car and they're doing the like combinations in their head and you can see them planning them out with their hands, right? Yes. That leads to a certain stress level. Yes. I don't want to handle. And I think right. that a younger instructor, it, and maybe you, you know, you might have young children at home. You, you know, you have other priorities yeah. in your life as well. This is not something you want to spend your time stressing about. So absolutely, like I said, I kind of bring these tools and technology. I say, okay, why can't we use a spreadsheet? Right. right. Why can't we use a digital planner? Let's yeah. get stuff visually represented in front of us so that we know there our guidelines are there. Mm -hmm. And we know that like I can walk into the class Tuesday after completing Monday with beginners over here, I can get to my intermediate advanced kids and know exactly where I left off last week. Right. right? And where I can start again, because yes. possibly that's one of the biggest struggles. Keeping Do that you make notes? I'm just curious. I don't mean to cut you off, but do you make notes about like how they respond or their progress or like if any particular combination really seems to click or work? Do you note that? Yes, I do. I actually have a column at the end of all of the weeks in my spreadsheet. That's just a notes column. So okay. I can say yes. And I, I also, um, I also use the highlighting function, right? Mm -hmm. So if yeah. I don't get to something, I'll highlight it in yellow. Okay. So that way, when I open that tab next week, I say, oh my goodness, we didn't do, you know, Ronda Jean on that. We yes. had to skip it because we were focused on something else. So I want to make sure that I don't drop that. Yes. Right. So I always, I make notes and um, I always try to do it pretty close to when class ends. Okay. Because to be honest, otherwise it is out of my head. That's yeah, that's my big thing too. And it's so hard, especially like for people that do have multiple classes, you know, that it may, even by the time they get to the last class that day, they may just be completely shot. And right. even just five minutes of reflection seems painful, but it is very valuable. Right. And I definitely, you know, again, teaching high school history now, it's the same thing. It's like, you're just so wiped out at the end of the day, but you kind of need to annotate your plans because if you don't, you know, you may end up back in the next semester in the same place. Like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> exactly. What did I do here? And yes. you know, to be quite honest, sometimes I won't even remember the music I used if mm -hmm. I don't write it down. So um, you can put that in the spreadsheet as well. You can put your right. playlist right in there, but yes. let's say you on the fly came up with a beautiful combination. Your students loved it. You want them to do it again. They want to do it again. It's exciting for them, right? Yeah. We've all seen that sort of light bulb moment happen. Yep. You don't want to lose that light bulb. You Absolutely. want to continue. So put that note in, put the music that you used, you know, and then yeah. even type a couple steps down so that just it reminds you or take a quick video, something yeah. like that to remind you, you know? And it's so nice because all of this is digital. It's like it can all live in a cloud and you can easily fix, change, like I said earlier, collaborate. Yes. It's so nice having the technology that we do today that 
was very limited. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Even just 10 years ago. Yes. Remember Crazy. how many notebooks we used to fill, yes. right? And, yes. and you're just sitting on a shelf and it is fun to yeah. sort of leaf through them sometimes, you know, it's kind of yeah. for me to just like take one out and see what I wrote <laughs> 10 years ago, but yes. it's much easier to just carry a file forward. It's for so sure. nice. And it's yeah. crazy. Cause I think people kind of take it for granted sometimes. Even my dance students, I always laugh at them because I'm like, you guys, you don't understand. I had to create an entire wish list of ballet movies and ballet books, and I'd have to wait all year so that I could learn about these things. You guys have it at your fingertips all day, every day. It's crazy. All the time. Mm -hmm. So crazy. So cool. Okay. So what are some common organizational challenges dance teachers face? You being a ballet mistress, I think this will be really helpful. And how do you recommend they tackle them? I think just sort of pulling in what we just finished talking about, the idea of this sort of have everything in an instant world that we live in, mm-hmm. it's a double-edged sword. So yes. while it's wonderful that we that our students and their parents have all of this information available to them, um, you know, instantly they can go on Instagram, TikTok. They're seeing someone do five pirouettes. They're seeing someone do a five forty. They're seeing all of these exciting tricks, right? Yeah. That these dancers, you and I know, and our fellow instructors know, they've been training six years to get to five pirouettes, right? They didn't just learn them yesterday. But I think if you have a strong curriculum to back you, mm-hmm. you can say, "Great." When the pressure comes at you from the students or the parents to present something a little early, right? Where you mm-hmm. not on the timeline that you as an instructor think it should be presented. You have a backbone to go to and say, listen, I am so excited that you saw that. Mm-hmm. I am thrilled that you want to get there, right? Yes. We want to get you there. Here is what I'm going to do this year. And right. Get them excited about the little steps along the way right? Get them to enjoy the process. That's one of my major uh, things about teaching. That's, it's what I really want to impart on my students is, is enjoying the process, enjoying putting in the work because right. right, That's your life as a dancer. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop in any, uh, you know, any career really, but especially dance that same work, same ballet work, plies, tendus, rondejans every day. Every day. So, <laughs> yeah, so I want to show them and get them excited. But sometimes when they're coming at you with these things, if you don't have this roadmap behind you, it's very hard to feel like you shouldn't just show it. Just mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. Right. Yeah. No, don't go ahead and do it. Say, yes, we'll get there. Right. But I have this curriculum for you and look at all the great other things we're going to learn. I absolutely love this because my last episode was on growth mindset and it's definitely been the most popular one that I've made. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just, it's true. It's that we live in a time now because things are instant. Everyone thinks that if you're not just born with a skill, if you're not just born with a talent or some ability that we can all recognize, Mm -hmm. then you can't do that thing. And with ballet, it's so personal. It's your body. It's that is your tool. So it becomes very demotivating for the young dancers when they feel like their tool that they're born with is not performing at the level that they want. And it is so true that it's, 
the whole thing is the process that we always strive for perfection. We never reach reach perfection and that's okay. Like that, that's a good thing and that it should be fun. Just like you said, the process of learning, being able to find those aha moments, build the strength, see the progress that we've worked towards. That makes it so much more rewarding too. And even just being a mom to young kids, trying to teach them that, that it's like the more effort you put in, the more you can enjoy it on the, the other end of it. Absolutely. Uh, Because you know how hard you worked. (laughs) Right, right. You really feel that sense of self-satisfaction. Yes, exactly. Reach a goal. And we as instructors can also benefit from that. You know, it's so heartwarming for us, right? Yes. That's what I live for. Right. Um, Yeah, I would absolutely say that some of my best is the wrong word. Some of Mm -hmm. my most successful students Mm-hmm. Yes. would be ones that when they walked in the door, they didn't have all the things, right. They didn't have the perfect ballet, everything. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because they worked for it and they earned it. And exactly. the more they did that, the more they gained from it. Right. 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 You know, and I- it's crazy too, because they don't even always realize that even the kids that have bodies, that it would be easy to mm-hmm. get into the ballet world. And by easy, I mean, easier, right? Right. That even those students still have to work really hard. Like yes. It still <laughs> is a lot of work. That's correct. That's correct. And for every feature that's like considered perfect for ballet, sometimes those are harder to work with even like hyperextended knees. That's a huge struggle. It's not easy. Right. It may get you in the door, just like you said, that yeah. might get you in the door, but you have to earn your place once Absolutely. you're there. Absolutely. Yes. So sure. funny. Yeah. Okay. So in your experience, how does the approach to planning differ between teaching beginners and advanced students? How do you, cause we know that you map it out, yes. but what kind of an approach difference do you experience when you're mapping these out? Well, the great news is, as you know, we were just saying that ballet doesn't change, right? Every day we do our plies, tendus, and mm-hmm. rondeaux. So the listing I was talking about that I keep a tab with all of these terms and, and technique uh, and even like class conduct, right? Sometimes I'll have right. that along the side as well. That doesn't go away. So what I do is I pull from that. If it's a beginner level, I'm going to take just the, the weight top four, right? I'm going to take my first four exercises of class and I'm going to spread those out amongst yeah. maybe even half a term, right? right? Because I'm also doing things like placement. Yes. I'm also doing things like how do we act in ballet class? Right. Um, you know, yeah. I'm also making sure to make it super fun. We're going up to the mirror. We're working together, right? We're getting into it a yeah. little bit. Right. So, you know, you want to instill that love of Absolutely. ballet as you're yes. doing it. So I take those things from my first tab, those aspects, and I spread them out. Okay. And I plan an advanced class. I'm using all of those things from the list. Right. 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 I'm taking every combination and over the year, I'm saying I need to get to all of these. Right. It, it changes from presentation of mm-hmm. the step to refinement of the step. Exactly. Yes. So like I said, the roadmap, it doesn't change. That's the beautiful thing about ballet. Agreed. It's just how, right. It's, it's, it's our interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. And actually more correctly, the dancer's interpretation of that, that as yeah. you become an intermediate and advanced dancer, that's what you're starting to refine, right? right? What do you bring to it? So, so my curriculum gets more complicated 
right? But all of the steps are the same. So just imagine a spreadsheet where you have multiple tabs, right? And you've got, you know, you've got all of this in one place for you. And let's say you end up knowing your students, they've had a year of ballet. They're not pure beginners anymore, but right. maybe they only had it once a week. And maybe for just 30 minutes. That's exactly <laughs> 30 minutes once a week that you're not going to get very far, unfortunately. No. So maybe especially goal, without a plan. <laughs> oh my gosh, for sure. So maybe your goal is to catch them up. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take and copy and paste that beginner tab, right? And you're going to put one in between beginner and second year, because you're going to say they're not quite ready. Right. Everything I've put into the second year curriculum. So I'm going to make a hybrid and I'm going to have one more tab. So then you call it what, whatever you need to call it, beginner plus, Mm -hmm. and you work your way through it with those students and you catch them right up. Right. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. So could you provide insights on balancing long-term goals with the flexibility that's needed for day-to-day instruction? This is huge too in education, just being able to understand, like you have unique people in the room, they've got their own lives they have their own backstory. They may have come in with a really bad day. <laughs> like, how do you adapt in these situations in the dance studio? Yes, I think like we've talked about this sort of drag and drop capability of working digitally, right? Um, with the spreadsheet is I can say, if I walk into a room and I've, I'm really ready to go with what I had planned for the day, but it's just not gonna happen that day. Yes, um, You can drop everything. I I remember an example of my students, um, my advanced students, well, intermediate advanced, I would say, went away for a master class. Mm -hmm. And when they came back to tell me about it, they had seen very difficult Petit Allegro. They were blown away by the difficulty and the high level and complication of the Petit Allegro combinations, especially Brise. Okay. They came back and they're like, (laughs) what is this brise and why can't we do right? So I dropped everything. We finished bar and I dropped everything and gave them like a step-by-step progression of how to build brise. Right. And all I did then was make a note and I just moved that day into the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, Side note, sometimes leaving a week blank is a really great idea in this sort of term long or year long curriculum. Yeah, gives you that flexibility. Exactly. So that way, you know, you're not going to get behind. So I just pulled the combinations, whatever I had planned for that day into another day and said, you know what, let's focus on this because they needed it. Yes. Students needed it. It built their confidence. Yes. Right. They, and I just didn't want them to have an experience like that in the future. So take the time to do it now and then just adapt. Do you, for your future plans, use those notes like that you spent a day on Brise because the kids needed it? Or I love a hard petite allegro. <laughs> um, do you put that like in your plans so that when you come back next year and you're planning it out, that you may make some changes in that plan and add yes. that in? It you definitely do. sticks with me because, like we were saying before, the ballet world is ever changing, the dance mm-hmm. world is ever changing, and the expectations from our students get to be higher and higher, right? Right. So maybe yeah, it was time for me to move Brise into an earlier year, right? right? Which is exactly what I did. I said, okay, these kids are doing this. Yeah. They're not waiting until they're a little bit older to learn this. They're doing it at 10 or whatever yeah. year right. was, you know? Right. And, and so how can we balance that as instructors, keeping the progression safe 
for them, right? right? Not doing too much too soon, but it allowed me to go back into my curriculum and say, where can I put elements of brise? Right. Where can I do that complication for them? How can I show that at bar? How can we build those muscles so that if it's presented to them away, they will be ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's That's what you can do. Awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. So just talking about tools, because we've already talked about Google Sheets, which I love. Yes. Are there any other particular apps, software, or just even traditional methods? Like I know that you do keep a calendar for yourself, like a physical calendar. Correct. What for you is indispensable for planning and organization? Right. So like you said, I do always carry a planner because no matter what, you know, you don't need power. You don't need Wi-Fi. You don't need anything to keep track of where you need to be at any given time. Right. So you might have a few notes in there that um, you can just jot down very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, a planner is essential. And I think it also teaches our students that tool, you know, mm-hmm. the, it, it, we do it, we model to them. Absolutely. How are we staying together? How are we keeping this? You know, a lot of dancers go into sort of a gig career, right? Where yep. they're doing one thing. You, you might not go into a company where you have a 30 right. week, 35 week contract. You might be, Absolutely. you know, doing various things. They need to learn how to take care of their time. Right. Yeah. And to get to the places they need to. So, um, I do use my planner religiously all the time. Um, I would say yes to Google sheets. Like you said, create a drive. If you're sharing with the team of instructors, it allows them all to get in there and collaborate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask questions. And if they did a combination that they love, throw it in there, take a video. Yeah put it in a cell. We'll all use it. You know, let's collaborate on that. Um, I would say we talked playlists, I think a little bit earlier, but, um, I use Spotify. Now I know that there's a number of other, uh, music streaming options and apps for you. Um, I like Spotify because I like to be able to create playlists, put the songs in order Mm -hmm. and then share that amongst my faculty. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing well, that's so- nice too, because not everybody's going to have like an iPhone. Exactly. So, because there, you can do that with Apple mm-hmm. with their music, but especially if you're planning to share it with everyone, mm-hmm. there's not always going to be that same amount of accessibility. So I love that. Sorry, didn't mean to cut Correct. you off. No, no, no. I think I agree with you. That's why that is one that I used to use and I have gotten mm-hmm. away from that. I think yeah. more people are on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also go into Spotify and look for someone else's ballet playlist. Right. So- you can search Halloween ballet playlist and you can get a thousand options from other instructors right. across the world who've already made one. So maybe there might be one that's sitting there waiting for you. Um, yeah. I, I think that scrolling through music in class is a huge time waster, right? For when sure. you have, like you were saying, if you have 30 minutes, if you have 45 <laughs> minutes of ballet, you don't want to spend five minutes of it finding the music that works, right? right? So you want to know ahead of time, what's my plan? I, right. I don't, you know, if I want a three, four, I better have it ready. If I, you yes. know, so, um, <laughs> unless you have, unless you're, you know, lucky enough, fortunate to have a pianist in class, like when we oh all have, to have live right. piano, <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but quite honestly, we know that most of the time we don't. Yeah, um, for sure. So you want to be ready. Don't waste that time. Use it, you know? Um, and then, like I was saying, use your phone, mm-hmm. use your video on your phone to its full capabilities, take mm-hmm. pictures show those pictures to your students. If you have a student doing it really well, put a picture 
in the spreadsheet for your other faculty members. Nice. Show them this That's is a great idea. Yeah. This is retire with proper use of turnout, you know, and uh, no a well-shaped foot. Something, <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like, and then they can use that to, for their own visual, especially if they're younger, maybe they, you know, haven't explained it before they can see it. Right. Absolutely. I think that's um, amazing. Actually. I love that. I never even considered the possibility, but that does, um, that does lead to another question that I have. So when you're working with other instructors in a studio, so if you have multiple people teaching ballet within one studio, Mm-hmm. which is not always the case, but often is. Right. How do you think this should be handled? Like, so you are in a situation, you could be ballet mistress. Mm-hmm. Not every studio is going to have a ballet mistress. So maybe they'll just have kind of people who, again, are on their own island and just kind of trying to figure out and do their own thing. Do you think that there should be, and I think I know the answer to this that you will say, but I'm curious <laughs> to get your input. Do you think that there should be a, like overarching goal for the studio that the teachers need to essentially work within that framework. So again, going back to the idea of like curriculum, that maybe the studio needs to have a set curriculum. The teachers can be adaptable, but they're still meeting the standards that are set for them within the studio. And maybe that it should be something that's designated by like age or level Mm -hmm. or years in dance how would you suggest that a studio should go about organizing for that? I think that between a studio owner, if the studio owner is not the same as the person setting ballet curriculum, right? Let's say we, Mm -hmm. let's say we have a studio owner, ballet mistress combination, Mm -hmm. um, or just a studio owner, ballet instructor, plus another instructor or something like that combination. Um, The tone needs to be set from the top. That studio owner likely has an overall goal for this studio. Is this studio putting out dancers that uh, specifically go to competitions? Is this dancer, is this uh, studio sending most of their dancers to ballet programs? Is this, you know, what's that overarching goal of the studio? And that needs to be communicated very strongly, very specifically to that person setting curriculum or to that person teaching ballet. Right. To say, listen, this is our goal. We need our students to have blank. Um, For instance, I have taught a class for gymnasts Mm -hmm. and their goals, right, are not the same as my other intermediate dancers of their same age. So I, you know, I taught this group of eight to 12 year olds. I need to focus on different things for them. And their gym owner knows what those things are and can help me understand that so that I can plan my class, right? Right. So I think it really comes from very open, specific communication. Yeah. Um, And then if you have, like you were saying, if you have a group, if you have a faculty of ballet instructors, those instructors need to meet and they need to say, what are you doing to get this across? And the person who's setting the curriculum needs to say, overall, this is where we need to get to. If we're mm-hmm. not all following the same combinations, which sometimes studios do, they, right. you know, especially with youngers, they really have a very, very strict, Regimented, very formal, yeah. you know, class mm-hmm. tone that they, um, and, and the elements of class that they use. Right. But as you're getting into the older dancers, there's so much more leeway. Right. Um, so maybe we're talking and we're saying, okay, well, 
my strength is jumps. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to focus on petit allegro and grand allegro with my students. I'm going to get them there in class. And maybe one of the other faculty members loves adagio, Mm -hmm. loves to work développé, loves to do right and get really get down into that movement quality. Let them focus on that. Okay. But if, as long as you have an overall goal for all your students, you can sort of then, you know, right. Piece that out amongst people's strengths. Yes. You know, work play to their strengths. So I'm curious, and you may not have an exact answer for this. Um, You've always been super sweet and diplomatic. (laughs) If you feel like this is a hard one to respond to off the cuff, that is totally fine. But what if you find you're in a situation like that and you really don't believe that the person who thinks that they're strong in a certain skill is strong in that skill, and you still know that the students need to get it, they need Uh to get it the correct way. Right. So mm-hmm. the way that it's supposed to be mm-hmm. versus just what that particular instructor perceives it as being. So how I would tackle that, I think I, I mean, we all know I'm aware of my strengths and weaknesses, right. Mm-hmm. And we all know that we have things that we're good at and things that we're not the best at. Right. So I think, like I said, how I would sort of tackle that is I would start with just an open dialogue. Let's sit down and communicate about how's your class going. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, we might be able to look to, uh, progress reports or, um, overall feeling of the class from last year to this year as a starting point to say, Hey, I think this class has some gaps. Okay. Let's see how we can fill them. Yeah. I love that. I think if you go to it with an open attitude of like working together on it, because like I said, I guarantee you there's things that I probably don't present as well as another instructor, right? And it's so different from child to child. I've learned that the hard way that, you know, I could be saying something until I'm blue in the face in as many ways I can possibly think of for years. And then all of a sudden a student goes to another teacher and they come back and they're like, oh, did you know this? And I'm like, really? Right. Right. <laughs> we talked about this for oh. years now, but okay. Yes. Exactly. So, so we just have to sort of remain open to the fact that these kind of things are going to happen. And um, an instructor, yeah, maybe they're not even comfortable telling you that they don't have that skill. But mm-hmm. what I usually say is, this is how I do it. Yes. Right. Maybe I even bring in a student um, and mm-hmm. say, here's, you know, Sally, let's say right. I've brought in Sally. This is what I would say to Sally if I yeah. needed her to do a correct sur le coup de pied. Right. Right. Um, I think the teacher's observing too is huge. And that's a huge part of education, right? So it's like, it's not meant to be punitive. It's strictly just so that you can see what other teachers do, what works for them, how they can manage the class, how they can present the content, how they structure the class, you know, things like that, that they can get exposed to it in a way that's not stressful for that teacher who's observing. Right. It's so beneficial. And like I said, if you just stay open to it and you say, this is an imperfect art, right? We're all working to get better at it every day. So our dancers are getting better at dancing it and we're getting better at teaching it. And if we can keep to that attitude and remain as judgment-free as possible Mm -hmm. to people's um, lack of knowledge, right? I think it gets us all farther. So that's how Absolutely. I've always come to it is more okay. from a, let's learn this together. Yes. I guarantee you, I'm going to learn something from the process as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to that growth mindset. We shouldn't be expecting perfection. It's a process. 
and it's progress for all of us. Right. Awesome. So uh, what role does organization play in preparing students for recitals, competitions, or exams? Like how far ahead do you know where they're going to be with these things? Do you have an idea like for your recitals of who might fit into what role before you even start the year? Like if you know the students and if if you've worked with them for a few years? Or do you know like competitions, what kind of pieces you're planning? And then not every studio has exams, but some that are certified through certain programs do have exams. So how would you go about organizing for that? So I don't specifically um, work with any ballet related exams, right? So I, but the process would be the same. We, we talked about leaving some space, right? I think um, another important thing when we're building this calendar in our spreadsheet you're putting in those dates, the important dates on your dance calendar, um, winter show, right? recital. You might even need to put a little note when casting comes out for yes. the winter show, right? Let's say we're putting on a nutcracker or some sort of holiday show. When that casting comes out, the tone of your class, the tone of the students coming into that class is going to change, right? Mm-hmm. Some will be elated. Some might be fine. Some might not be fine, right? You don't right. know what's coming into. So put a little note. You might need to give a little leeway in that class because these are children, right? At the end of the day, yes, they're absolutely. children with bringing their own feelings, like we've said, you know, to the class. So yeah, be cognizant of that. Be aware of that. We don't want to feed into it, right? Ever, right. I, you know, I'm a big fan of the least amount of drama. Yes. Let's put in the work. Let's close the studio door, right? Yeah. And let's work because that's so good for all of us. However, we still know that that's in the room. That energy is there. Exactly. Um, So just be a little freer, you know? Um, Another thing you want to make sure that you take into account is academic calendars, right? I think we forget about that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Right? You can bring that. You understand midterm exams and Mm -hmm. imagine what the studying for that and the stress of that even psats SATs. think about those dates when you're creating this it doesn't mean it throws you off your entire plan it doesn't mean you stop teaching it doesn't mean you go easy on them right it just means you're aware exactly saying okay they may have just gotten those scores back right this is their college career we're talking about now this is life beyond the studio and it's so important to them exactly right so maybe you do something fun I mean I've definitely had days where I come in I read the room you know I can tell there's an energy of stress something's happening and I say okay like what's going on you know (laughs) we've all asked that question like is there something happening and you know today and if someone's brave enough right they'll say oh my gosh midterms mm-hmm. and this yeah. English, or we have AP English coming up this weekend and we're so unprepared. Okay, right. great. So I'm going to give them a bar and then we're going to do something fun. We're going to yeah. build a combination in groups and be silly with our choreo and play yep. fun music. You know, maybe I, I just throw out the ballet music all together one day and use Taylor Swift. Right. right? And we just have fun and we remember how great that feeling is just the feeling of dancing right yes and I get them back to that and I think you know and like I said it just puts your curriculum on hold for one class what's one Mm -hmm. class you get right back to it they haven't gotten anything they're not going to lose out they're actually going to gain because can you imagine like the camaraderie and the teamwork that you're building 
Absolutely. You have a class like that. Like there's so many benefits to it. Um, that don't it's so that it's all good. It's all worth including. Right. Yeah. I think that definitely shows a huge sign of maturity in that approach. Cause, and this is, I really struggled with this when I first started teaching because I was 21 Mm -hmm. and, you know, just like I said earlier, I taught the way I had been taught and the way I had been taught, there was very little empathy. (laughs) Yes. Certainly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was really just you come in, you do what's expected of you, or you get out. <laughs> right, right. And uh, not a whole lot of like connection building with, um, you know, instructors or directors that I had worked with. Like, it's not that they were all unpleasant, but it wasn't the same. It's like, however, I felt was irrelevant in the grander scheme of things. Right. And um, I do think there is a fine line. And this is such a hard struggle, like thing to balance. Mm -hmm. And I see this as well in high school because there is kind of this attitude towards students where like it almost, almost like how you said you don't feed into the drama, right? Like Mm -hmm. where you can make it so much about them that they forget that there is a world outside of them. Like you don't want to feed into that. You don't want them to forget that they are a piece of the larger picture Um, but you also do want to make sure that they know that they're cared about, that they know that they matter and that they know that we want to be there to support them because, you know, if we're not there for them in that way, it can definitely cause bigger hangups later in life. So, um, it is such a hard balance, I feel like to strike, but it is. And, you know, we're not always going to get it right, but we need to give ourselves a little pat on the back and just say (laughs) we're doing our best. Right. Yes. Um, Yes, you're right. I mean, because at the end of the day, those elements of class don't go away, right? Right. And we can't ignore them. They must be taught. And, you know, but I think of myself as a kind instructor, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean I roll over, right? Right. Me being kind is me understanding that there Mm -hmm. will be elements to their life, right? That are not related to my ballet class today. Exactly. And that gives a level of understanding when they're not all in, right? right. That it's not a representation of me, right? Yeah. So we need to remember that as instructors. And, and that just takes, you know, sort of experience and um, just doing it for a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I also, but also part of being kind is giving them what they need from my class and not bending, yeah, right? So, absolutely. So yes, it is a fine line. I, I'm going to make sure that we have all the elements of class. So even Mm -hmm. if they're doing these fun, silly combinations, I give them criteria to work in. Right. Right. So I have group one and they have to do something with a pirouette on Bayor. And then I have two and they have to show me développé to écarté. And then I, right. So there's still, it's still all peppered in there. But like I said, it's, it shows it's part of being kind to say, I see you today and I hear you today. And I support you today. Well, I support right. you. Every- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the bottom but line. even just being in the moment is huge for them. It, mm-hmm. it really is. So I do think that that's, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Um, and really important for them. So I know that they're lucky. Yeah. They're lucky <laughs> to have you. <laughs> okay. So the next question, um, can you offer any advice for new dance teachers on developing their organization and planning skills? What do you think would be like the key, the priority for those who are coming into this job? They're 
brand spanking new. Maybe they don't have a whole lot of ballet background, but they're expected to teach it. How would you suggest that they go about building these skills? Super, super important. Shadow, shadow, more experienced teacher. Just like you were saying, if it's not in your same studio, don't be afraid to reach out to another studio. I can tell you if somebody called me and said, Hey Meg, I'm just starting out. I'm a little bit lost in ballet. Can I come watch you teach? I would say, yes, absolutely. You can come watch me teach anytime. Right. Right. I'm never afraid to have people come into my classroom. Um, you know, ask first, but be brave and say, this is a skill set I'd like to gain. Mm -hmm. And I see it in you. Right. If you say that to a person, oh my goodness, they (laughs) absolutely should let you shadow. (laughs) I believe in what you do and I'd like to learn from it. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell my students this all the time. If you have a class and you have an instructor that really touches you and and you have a breakthrough moment, my goodness, thank them and say, this was amazing. And I had a breakthrough. Like right. they're, going, they're going to want to hear that. So, Absolutely. And then so we know what we did, right. <laughs> it's wonderful for us. It's great feedback. Yes. So if we're going to ask our students to do that, right, we can mm-hmm. also ask our fellow instructors and we can be open to them when they say, Hey, I need help. I'm hoping you can help me. Right. Absolutely. And if you have yeah. time to mentor someone, do it right? Yeah. To do that because we, you're, you can't, you can't create experience. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You have to live it. And so the fact that we have lived it already means we have a responsibility to help others do the same if that's the path they're on. Right. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. So, and I, it's so funny. Cause even like with the photography that I do, you know, if somebody mm-hmm. is asking me questions about how to shoot, I'm always like, Oh, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> I'm like, right. I spent thousands of dollars learning, but sure. I'll tell you everything. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and, you know, but it will help them get them started. Maybe a spark occurs and they go take oh, a yeah. photography class or they, right. Or they go take a teacher training because that's yes. what I would also say would be the next step is that if you do one of these trainings, you do walk out of there with a higher sense of confidence. Absolutely. What you do because you're yes. just going to take so much with you. Um, mm-hmm. And then I know we touched on this before, but if you're really, really lost, it's okay to go out into the world and find a curriculum and use it. Absolutely. You yeah. don't think people at the Vaganova school aren't passing down exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, and have been for generations. Yes, exactly. That's what they're doing. So don't yes. be afraid to go do that. If you are alone in a town, like you said, on an Island, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have anywhere else, there's no resources close to you just reach out to the web, but find a reputable source. Absolutely. That's the that's big willing to sell their curriculum curriculum to you. Yes. Absolutely. And like, sometimes you have to do the training. Yeah. Sometimes you have to sign up and you have to make time, but they will hand you a beautiful notebook. Right. And, a and you take it with you forever. That's right. So, so that's huge. Your time and energy yes. to do it. Um, and then you're not stressing. You're not doing that. Like we said, that rush to class where you're like, what am I doing today? Yes. And you're building combos in the car and, you know, <laughs> or during the class. Out. Life gets in the way. We don't, we need to try to do what we can, you know, yeah. to counteract that. So, which leads me to my next question in terms of personal organization, how do you maintain a work-life balance as a dance teacher? It's really hard. I know with often we're teaching at night. Yes. It's almost like we don't have a personal life. And for people who are trying to build up their personal life, it can be a huge struggle. It's really difficult. So yes. Um, nights and weekends, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you say goodbye to your nights and weekends, 
But when you have that time with your family or when you have that time with your friends, knowing that this is done already. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's such a load off your shoulders so you can just go and enjoy yourself. Right. So say, if you know your dance year begins in August, let's start thinking curriculum in June or July. Right. Leave it till August 1st when you start on August 15th, because then right. when you do have time to spend time with your family and friends, you're worrying about it. Absolutely. You're saying it's not finished. It's just like any paper for school. It's just like, you know, any continuing education for a job, <laughs> book it, put time on your schedule, use your planner, plan a day, right. plan three days, whatever, you know, it's going to need how, depending on the number of classes you have. Right. Yeah. And then build it. Um, and then the next year it takes a lot less time because you already have, right. Absolutely. You've got a year's worth of info sitting in front of you that you can play with. Yes. You can play with and adapt. So then your planning time is going to decrease. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that would be my biggest piece of advice would be just put the time on your calendar to get it done. And then that time that you do have with your family and your friends mm-hmm. or social events and things like that, you're all into those. Okay. You're hundred percent there. I love I, it. We all hate when we're sitting right on the couch, our family's in the room and we're working on something else. Oh yeah. That's, that's <laughs> me sure all the time. Right. <laughs> yes. All been there. So I try to avoid that now because yeah, you know, you don't want that guilt. You don't want to carry that with you. You Absolutely. want to be hundred percent there. So yeah. And the older your kids get, if you have kids, the more you start to realize how that lost time is so important. Absolutely. <laughs> what would you say to teachers who feel overwhelmed by the administrative side of dance teaching? I would go back to just, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, I have built curriculum, right? This is something I'm, it's a strength of mine. It's something that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that administrative side and that planning task is a joy to me. Right. If it's not, and there's someone else who's a member on your team that's like me, <laughs> <laughs> go to them and say, I'll do blank if you mm-hmm. can do the curriculum. So right. maybe you're great with choreo and you can set pieces and they can piggyback off one another for recital. Right. Maybe you have the same class level and you can share, right? Choreography because they're in two different shows, but they're the same class level. They're both, you know, seven, eight-year-old beginner ballet, whatever. Yeah. Right. Find ways that you can have a give and take. Like I said, no one would be upset if you came to them and said, this is not a strength of mine. I see it's a strength of yours. What yeah. can we do? Right. If you had um, someone come up to you or like email you or message you and say, hey, I heard this podcast and I really loved everything you had to say. It was so helpful. The only problem is I'm in a dance community that's not supportive and I don't feel comfortable asking questions mm-hmm. uh, for the people who are in my bubble. I love teaching dance, but mm-hmm. maybe my boss is not very nice or understanding. And if I let off that I'm having any problems, I'm afraid they would fire me. Someone who's in that kind of more contentious place, mm-hmm. but they don't want to quit just because they love dance so much. How mm-hmm. would you, aside from the curriculum, do you have any advice in how the, like a curriculum training that they pay for? Cause sure. maybe they can't afford it. I think often right. that's one of the bigger concerns. Like if the studio is not supporting them and paying for it, we right. don't really make much always as dance teachers. So maybe they're struggling with that end. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other suggestions or ideas on how they might kind of support and grow themselves? Absolutely. So a resource that 
I find helpful. Um, I don't often post, but I do a lot of reading within mm-hmm. it. There are dance teacher networks on Facebook. Okay. Yes. And um, they're grouped by all sorts of things. Some of them are curriculum based. Some of them are all over the place as far as right. running the studio. Some of mm-hmm. them are choreography, costumes, things like that. There's different groups for all of this for specifically instructors, right? right. So there's not parents in these groups. Um, you know, there's not students in these groups. These are open forums right. for discussion amongst instructors. And I love that. you could be anonymous now. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> seem to post anonymously now because mm-hmm. if they're coming from a studio situation, like you suggested, they might be, mm-hmm. and that is they're out there. They might right. be afraid to say, hi, I'm Meg Everly. And I don't know this. Yes. Right. right. Because they're trying to put themselves <laughs> out there in their community as someone who knows. Right. And maybe if someone is not willing to support the fact that there are gaps, right, in a person's knowledge base that they they would love to fill, Mm -hmm. go find these free resources. I mean, they're absolutely free. And I have seen conversations occur where one instructor says, I will direct message you my curriculum. Yes, that's awesome. I love that. I'll send you what I have. And because, yeah, we're all out for the same goal. The goal should be the bettering of our students. Absolutely. And the ballet world and ballet teaching. So you're going to find other like-minded people who are willing to share in those sort of forums. Um, That's, that would be what I would recommend. I love that. That's great. And then for my last question, uh, what's one planning or organizational habit that you think every dance teacher should adopt from all the stuff we've talked about? What's the one thing that you think would be a non-negotiable the jotting down of a quick note or two after okay. class. I, yeah. I honestly think of all the things, I mean, I would love to say, let's all go start working in a spreadsheet, but I know yeah. <laughs> not everyone has the same love. It's a learning love. curve. Yeah. Sorry. Not everyone has the same love for a spreadsheet as I do. Um, and it's honestly, it's a little bit of a, it's a common joke amongst mm-hmm. my faculty members <laughs> that, that I love them so much. Um, so I know that that's not for everybody, but mm-hmm. really honestly taking down a note because in the juggling that we do as instructors, work-life balance, various class levels, times, maybe different studios, things like that. Maybe we're traveling for competition. You're not going to remember no. the combination that you gave that was amazing and your yes. kids loved and you knew it was such a benefit for their, like, let's go back to the breezes. If yeah. I had written that down, I would lose the progression that I built. So I made a few few quick notes or take, honestly, just video your kids at the end of class. Yeah, You're gonna have those, a few of those students that love to do that. They want to stay, they want to do the combo one more time. Use those students, use their enthusiasm. If you don't want to write it, video it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can make your own little album. (laughs) That's right. Good things. Like yes. I said, if someone asks you, you can say, oh my gosh, I do have a great brise progression. Absolutely. Would you yes. like it? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's great. things that excite us as ballet instructors, but <laughs> yeah. they should, right? We should get excited about it. We should encourage each other Absolutely. Yeah. to bring that to class. So no, the, um, yes, the field of dance in general, it does so much better when there is that energy of collaboration and working together and supporting each other. So I really appreciate you being here and modeling that for us and being a wonderful example of what we should all aspire to in the dance world with teaching our students. 
I really appreciate you being here. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And anytime you want to chat, I'm here. (laughs) Definitely pulling you in for more in the future. (laughs) Thanks.